Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Cafecito con Conciencia. My name is Susie, um, and we have a special um, platica to share with y'all today. We have a special guest with us joining us. Um, I'll have them introduce themselves, actually. So who wants to start us off? I can go. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you all. My name is Diego, and I'm currently, I just finished my master's in educational counseling. And um, right now, I'm a counseling intern at a community college, and I'm also an advisor at another community college. Hi, everyone. My name is Dora Lopez. I am a lecturer at Capoli Pomona, and I'm really excited to be here. I am a alumni from CSUN. I graduated my master's in Chicano Studies, and uh, from Capoli, I got a, psycho- a BA in Psychology and a BA in Gender, Ethnicity, and Multicultural Studies. So I'm super excited to be here. Hi everyone, uh, my name's Angel Armendariz, but y'all can call me Angie, and I'm a six-year high school English teacher, and I'm excited to be here, and let's see where this discussion takes us. Thank you, Angie, thank you for joining us, and if you can hear in the background, sorry, are my dog Chulo is also joining us tonight. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you all here today. You know, we have, like Susie said, we have folks from different backgrounds, different um you know, spaces joining us today here to talk about just education as a whole, education in general, you know, our personal experiences connecting those to, you know, what education is today, what it was before the pandemic and after the pandemic. Um, So we're just really excited, you know, to host this space, um, to have you all join us to share a little bit of your time on a Thursday night. Um, But we definitely want to get started with it. I mean, you know, uh, folks, hopefully by folks, by this time, folks already know, you know, Susie and I, but we definitely want them to, you know, take something away from what y'all have to share your, your experiences. So, um, Susie, whenever you're ready, let's do it. Vamonos. Yes. So it's exciting, right? Today's hot topic is around education and as you can see, uh, you know, here we got Diego, Dora and Angie who have, who are experiencing education, um, and different levels right now. And I think our question to start us off is like, what was your education experience uh, while growing up? Now, thank you, Susie, for the question. Uh, I could go. Uh, So for me, I migrated from Mexico in 1999. So I migrated from, and um, I arrived here to the U.S. And one of my most vivid memories in my experience in education, it's not the best, uh, I think was the, I wasn't treated um, fairly as the same as my other peers who were here. And uh, the next experience that I have is that I remember a teacher uh, passing out agendas. And I was waiting for my little booklet and uh, I didn't get one. So I asked my classmate who had arrived uh, a few months before me, I was like, hey, how come we didn't get any? And her reply was like, oh, that's not for us. So a lot of it was um, a lot of the the teachings I got was like here's a workbook you sit down in this corner where you appear with the rest of the migrant kids and that's it and um, I also got really frustrated because my teacher uh, was Latina and I felt frustrated because uh, she wouldn't speak to me in Spanish and I will have to get somebody to translate for me. And it was really frustrating with that. One thing that really kind of saved me for me was that I was uh, really ahead in math. And that was the only language I was able to express um, throughout like fifth grade and sixth grade. 
and uh it was really really difficult and i think um my i mean graduating all the way from to from a master's is huge for me because of those type of experiences i had uh i mean we could be here the whole night just sharing all the messed up um messed up memories i have of being in um in the classroom or with the counselors and now i have uh the language right what was it why well, didn't have an um access to a, a quality of education um the I was discriminated because I was uh, an immigrant, so I didn't seem like uh, they shouldn't be spending resources on me. Um, uh, I experienced a lot of racism, um, even with counselors, teachers, and all of that, you name it, and all, and then xenophobia because I was an immigrant, right? So now that I'm, I had the opportunity and privilege to go into higher education, I have the language. But I think oftentimes of, of other other children that are dealing with similar stuff that they might not have that language or they keep thinking that it's their fault because at some point i did think it was my fault that i wasn't worthy for my teacher to to spend the time to teach me what was going on right yeah no thank you for sharing and shout out to you for you know like taking all those you know struggles and obstacles and now look at you now right like years later uh profit uh so thank you for sharing all right, Andy or Diego, how was yours? Was it similar, different? I think there's some similarities uh, with Dora's experience and, and mine. Um, I'm not an immigrant. Uh, I was the first one of my siblings to be born here in this country. Um, but with that being said, um, my parents never allowed us to speak English at home. So when I, from kindergarten to up to third grade, I didn't know any English. And I know, especially in first grade, like I had this teacher that was not nice at all. Um, and she was always making like comments. And I, I think about it. And again, I didn't know English then. So for her to, I don't, I have no idea what she was telling me then. Uh, but one thing I will never forget is that, as you all know, it's elementary school. Once a week, we get to go to the library. And I really liked books. I'm an English teacher now. Um, and I always kept checking out the same book. It was It's called Whistle for Willie. Um, and I kept checking it out in the hopes that I was going to learn how to read it. And I checked it out every day for about two months straight. And I remember when we got to the library, she goes up to me, she takes the book, and then she tells me to just take a seat. And she says... That she tells me that I'm not going to check out a book because it's not like I'm going to learn English anyway. Um, and I was only in first grade when she, she told me that. And that kind of just stuck with me. And maybe because I'm a Capricorn, but I'm very spiteful. So even as a young girl, I was like, you know what? Challenge accepted. Um, and by third grade, I was fluent. I was reading at a fifth grade reading level. And that came with the support of many teachers that I came across when I ended up switching schools. Um, who were very supportive, who were Latina teachers, and they never gave up. I walked into their class not knowing much English, and they just never stopped. They kept pushing me and pushing me, and at the moment, I was just like, you're so mean. Why are you making me read this? You know I don't know any English. Um, and 
with their help, I was able to grow so much in just a few years. And I just never stopped reading. And I think because I got to meet those teachers or run into them in elementary school, they set up a good foundation because as I got to middle school and even high school, I didn't have those teachers again. Um, unfortunately, they're really rare. Um, but again, I think it was, it's, it was it's so crucial that it happened for me when I was in elementary school. So shout out to the Capricornness of you, right? Because you showed that teacher third grade and reading fifth grade level. Yep. Thank you for sharing, Angie. Any other Capricorns in the house? No? No? Uh, Scorpio. Pisces. Okay. <laughs> so it's just Angie and I? That's it? Arias. Arias? Okay, okay. I don't know how that... Well, then, I, I definitely don't know how this conversation is going to turn out today. We we got different signs up in here, and I don't know anything about that, so... But... <laughs> anyway, let's bring it back. Diego, 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 que pasó? What were you going to share? Um, Thank you for sharing, Angie and Dora. Um... My experience in education growing up is um, I know when I was in, I did Head Start like two years. You know, my mom was very cool with like the person in charge of Head Start, you know, so I had started unofficially one year with my older brother, you know, and then after that, I was like the age I can be in Head Start. So I remember that, you know, and I remember elementary and middle school kind of just kind of just going through school, like just because I had to go, you know, I had my friends there. So I was like, oh, like, I'm gonna go hang out with my friends. You know, and when I recall elementary, like, I know that um I was in EOD probably to, like, fourth grade, you know, and they would have us do, like, fluency tests, you know, and I remember just trying to read and be fluent and speed read through it, you know, just so I can get, like, a high score. And I remember in fifth grade, they finally put me in MEOD, which at that point was mainstream English language development, you know, but it also reminds me of my mom being told, like, in elementary not to talk to us, like, in Spanish, you know, because it would, like, slow our English progression. You know, and in middle school, um, I was in honors in like sixth grade, so like I got kicked out, you know. And then in seventh and eighth grade, I was just there with my friends. And then um, I had one teacher in middle school who, like, when I think back to it, she was very instrumental in like encouraging students to learn. You know, she was like the teacher that would be there early in the morning and be would be there after school. You know, so if your parents had to drop you off early on campus because they had to go to work. That's the teacher you would go to, or after school if you had to stay because you're you're waiting for your parents to get out of work. That's what class she would you would be in, you know, and that was very amazing for me because it kind of just further like my understanding of education, and especially because she was very open with us, you know, like at that at that time, um, she's the first person that actually took me to Not Scary Farm. She had raffle like throughout periods, and like the winners of her periods would be taken to Not Scary Farm, and that was my first time actually being like at a theme park like that. And then um, in eighth grade, I had a math teacher who um, he was like no one is more stupid than anybody people just try harder you know so it i kind of just took that to heart because it was like when i felt a test i'm it changed how i thought about it where it was like i'm failing because i didn't study not because I, like something's wrong with me you know so then when high school came they just say i didn't pay i didn't care about college or anything like that so my senior year you know and then i started seeing people like get called out to talk to with, with the college counselor and i was like man like why am i not getting called out you know, and it was only because the we had a graduating class of like over 860 students or seniors, you know, and we only had one college counselor. So she was just pulling out the students who had above a 3.0 GPA and I wasn't one of them, you know, and I would say it was a little also arrogant of me because I was like, well, like I know just as much as them, you know, why am I not getting the college talk? You know, so I remember um going up to the counselor, right? And be like, hey, like, are we going to apply to college or what? And then she was like, yeah, you can go ahead and apply. So then during my um, we had office hours back then so during that office hour I would go 
whether and I applied to college, I got into CSUN through the EOP. You know, I did the commuter bridge. I was able to get in. And then I dropped out my first semester. You know, I didn't feel ready for it. You know, um, I was also a commuter student and kind of just being the first in my family to go to a four-year, I kind of found it very isolating, you know, just having to drive by myself and then just having to come back, you know. And then my mom was also going through some health issues at the time where she wasn't able to drive because she didn't know how. So, like, I, I had just gotten my license, right? I had just gotten my car to commute to school. So then it would kind of default to me to take her to her um her doctor visits and stuff like that. You know, so I ended up dropping out and then I kind of just enrolled at El Camino College. And then at El Camino College, I was kind of just able to participate in support programs there as well. And then that led me to transfer to UCLA. And then at UCLA, that's where I picked up the education minor. And the education minor put me into the field of education because I first transferred as a political science major. And now I'm finishing my master's in educational counseling. What a journey. Thank you, Diego, for, for just jumping into that and just, you know, being vulnerable with us about, you know, how you felt. Um, you kind of actually, I'm going to throw another question, David, if you don't mind. Um, I know, uh, just what got you inspired to, you know, to pursue, I think Dale, you kind of started us off a little bit, right? I can only imagine why you were pursuing, uh, you know, to become a counselor, uh, Dora professor, Angie, a teacher. Again, we kind of, through your experiences, we kind of hear a little bit about, you know, why you probably follow, you know, this is like your passion. Uh, but if you want to elaborate a little bit more, like, why did you choose this path? Um, and yeah. 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 So for me, um, for me, um, I remember getting to my senior year and kind of just thinking about like, what am I going to do like after high school? You know, and one thing that I kind of just saw was just like people being stuck in the community. And I didn't want that to be me, you know, but. So I was okay, like, I'm going to go ahead and go to college. Let's see what this is about, you know. And when I went to CSUN, I just found myself unprepared, which led me to the community college. And when I transferred to UCLA, I took a class titled Mexican-American in the public schools. And I was also a commuter student to UCLA, you know. So I was taking that class, and then it kind of just put a lot of stuff into perspective and where I was able to understand education from, like, it is an institution, you know, and, like, People are going to go ahead and experience this based on like their intersectional identity. So a lot of the stuff that I experienced in education, I was able now to finally like contextualize that. And one of my professors, she had asked this, she was like, why are you here? Why aren't your friends here? You know, and I never thought I was like any smarter than my friends. I just knowing them personally, like I know that they were going through some personal stuff that was really pushing them away from education, you know, but I knew that they were just as capable as being here sitting next to me. And I kind of just always felt alone in that sense that like, I kind of went through that by myself, you know, but I was a commuter student. So I stayed very connected to my friends from high school. You know, I'm still best friends with them and I love them, you know, but um, it just helped me understand that being born low income, you know, you're going to go, your school selection is going to be very limited. You know, if your parents are immigrants and they can't speak English, also the interactions with teachers are going to be very limited, you know, and it also let me know how we lack that social capital and like that navigational capital to understand education as an institution to then be able to navigate it. You know, so when I took that class, I picked up the education minor at UCLA and it really just gave, it gave me that reason why, where it was like community college allowed me to transfer into a four year and learn so much, you know, and then also into a profession that I never really thought I would be interested in, you know, because at first I had intended to be into politics, but then just seeing how even politics plays into education, but how transformative education can be and the multi-generational change that can come with that, it's just something that really attracts me to it, where I want to encourage other students to go pursue their academic or career goals. 
for me it's a little bit more different i think um one thing that like going back to the language the access to the language that my degrees have provided me was that i saw how much of my parents dreams and hopes have been passed down to me and honestly that was a click like my parents telling us that we needed to get a, a higher education here my mom shared how she wasn't able to uh, be a teacher definitely had a huge impact on me and um, i was able to see that uh, the cultural the social and communal uh, cultural capital that both of them provided me and uh, i really love the model from uh, tarayoso which is community cultural capital and seeing the dreams and hopes that they provided me even my parents not knowing this educational educational system here in the u.s they always um had time they always told us this is time for you to do school yes a lot of times uh we weren't allowed to speak english at home because they didn't want us to lose our 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 language right as i have conversations with them now i'm like we did lose it like spanish technically is a, is a colonizer's language so but that's another conversation that uh for another day but definitely the spark the getting angry of like you know you know what i'm not no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that like i'm not gonna drop out i'm not gonna get pushed out definitely resisting that because a lot of the stuff in this that was in place for me in my educational system was for me to be out like it, the educational system was not made with me in mind honestly and that to me was like i really once i realized that I was like, well, I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to keep asking as many questions as I can to whoever wants to um, uh, have a conversation with me and I'm just going to figure it out. And one of the things that I do want to highlight was in high school, I had um, a Chicana um, uh, teacher and she had access to books and she just let me check out as many books as I wanted and never asked me for the books right away she's like whenever you're ready to return them return them uh and her uh lesson plans were always she started like this you're doing the same uh type of work that a college prep uh english class is doing just because you're in remedial english does not mean you're not doing the same work and when she specified that that to me was the most radical thing that she could have ever done uh, for all of us because she was telling us that we were able to do that work as compared to racist teachers that were saying no you don't know enough English for you to be in a college prep class or you, a college um, your counselor making the decision to take you out of a college uh, course uh, prep class while thinking about it that you might not be accepted to a four-year university because they made that decision while even consulting your parents so definitely um, uh, having those uh, rare pro teachers definitely help, helped a lot of um, us. And I think that one moves to the question like, who has inspired you to be the educator that you are? Honestly, I am the type of educator that I wanted when I was a kid. That I am, I'm the type of professor that I wanted when I was in college. The one that I is trying to learn from you, that I'm not an expert, the one that I will take into account disabilities, um, all those stuff like anxiety or different mental health issues that you might be dealing, all of that. So definitely when I go in front of my classroom, I always tell them I'm going to be as transparent as I can. 
I I recently got diagnosed with ADHD, and I tell my students I have ADHD. So if something if I if I go off on a tangent, this is why. But let me share the tools that are helping me to be here in front of y'all. So having that in 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 my classroom is key, and yeah. Powerful. Well, this is a right platica to be in because sometimes we go on tangents, so uh, <laughs> that's totally okay. Um, I think for me, um, like I was sharing with y'all, uh, English was is obviously not my first language, but once I became fluent in English, I became a total nerd, um, and I was just good at everything <laughs> at school. So <laughs> with that, um, I have younger sisters, so I would always help them with their homework and. Um, it's in elementary school and I realized, you know what, I want to be a teacher. It's just something I never let go um, because you know that moment when, for those of us that, that are in the classroom or have it in the classroom at some capacity, when they finally get it, right? You're there explaining it for I don't know how many times. <laughs> and then when they finally get it, when it clicks, I, I love that feeling, you know, um, when students realize that they can do it. When they're like, oh, you know, uh, because it's so easy for them to be like, this is hard. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Can you explain it again? Right. Um, and no matter how frustrating it can be sometimes, <laughs> explaining it more than twi- two times. Um, that's what I kind of, that's why I'm in the classroom for, for those moments when students, you just see students become so confident. Um, and, and then with that, they, they feel a little more successful in the classroom. And I think just like Dora said, of like, the teacher that I am. Um, not that I had really terrible teachers all around, you know, I did have some good teachers, but I think especially being the teacher that I wish I had, um, because maybe some of us can relate that there was just some classrooms that we were in that were not always welcoming or teachers that we probably had in high school or even college that were not approachable at all. And that's something like an environment that I make sure to create in my classroom a classroom where I make mistakes, you make mistakes, we're all learning. I'm just here, not so much as a teacher, but just here facilitating uh, the learning process. Um, And I hope I answered the question because I don't know. (laughs) I hear my voice and I I hear my own voice and I get distracted. (laughs) No, you did. Uh, Thank you all for sharing that. It's just so dope, David. I don't know how you're feeling, but it's just pretty empowering just to hear uh, your story and just like your why and then just like I uh, just you know I just also just feel very lucky for the students that you all you know uh, you know you all kind of take in in your classrooms or in your office or when you meet or you know um, so again thank you all for joining us and just thank you for just doing the work that you do right doing the work that you do um, David I'm gonna put you on the spot Having you all in, in this in this space also makes me like feel hopeful, you know, because there's it 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 illustrates that there's a shift in education, right? There's a there's a new generation of educators that is not just willing to look at at the student and in, in, in the lens of like, you know, this is what you need to learn, but like Dora mentioned, like 
I have the lived experience of like having these breakdowns because I was a college student myself, right? And I know what it is like to stay up, you know, I don't know how many hours to write a paper, to write a, you know, or put a presentation together, you know, to do all these things, you know? So it's like, so having that empathy, you know, that's what I'm hearing from every single one of y'all, you know, having empathy to work with your students, regardless of what level they're in. I think for me that, you know, I'm glad to, to hear that and see it, you know. Um, the other thing that I've noticed, you know, just as I'm hearing y'all talk is like how it's, I don't want to say crazy because I don't think it's crazy, but I guess just for a lack of a better term, it's crazy that, you know, some things just haven't changed in our education. You know, like when I was in high school, like I had, you know, Diego, I know you mentioned there was one counselor per, I think, 800 students or so. Like that number has gone up. For, for high school students, you know, it, it's like one counselor per like a thousand plus, right? And so it's like, and it was always like, I'm going to help the student with a 3.0 and above, right? It was never, I'm going to focus on that student with a 2.4 who can apply to EOP and possibly get into a Cal State, you know, or a 2.3 or a 2.2, right? Because they could still get into a Cal State with that, with that GPA, EOP, right? But it was never that. So it's like, I'm seeing some of you, right, in that field, and it's like, there's hope, right? Because maybe if, if I would have had one of y'all, then you would have pushed me to apply to that Cal State, right, and really go forward with it, right? I, I had, I had, I posted it in, in, in my TikTok, y'all. I, I do have a TikTok, and okay, yeah, I'm a little over the age, you know, but I see all the other older folks in TikTok, so, you know, I put myself out there también. Um, but my, my, my educators told me like, if you could do this, you know, you could work, you could work the register for your, you know, once you're done with high school, that's it. You know, like focus on that. And, and they never gave me the college talk. And, and Dora, I, 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 I like the fact that you bring up, you know, how it was, that was pivotal in your family education. Education was seen like as a way to, as a way of upward mobility. For the family, you know, because it was always like, tienes que agarrar tu educación, tienes, tienes que ser alguien en la vida, you know, tienes que este, graduarte para que tengas un buen trabajo, para que no, no batalles, you know, and that's what I would hear with my family, you know, my parents, that, that was, that was a conversation, and even though that was a conversation, it's like, David was still being a badass, you know, in high school and shit, you know, and doing shit that he wasn't supposed to, um, that changed eventually, you know, but, um, yeah, no, just you know, I, I like I like where where y'all are taking education, you know, and, and and how you're handling it. So, but yeah, I also just hear like the love you have for what you do. You know, I just feel like I work with a lot of, uh, you know, Angie and I worked at the same high school before we transitioned to different schools, but like. You just work with different adults who work with youth who sometimes they don't love what they do, you know, and it's just like, then why are you here? You know, why are you here? Uh, if you do not love your students, bye, you know? So I think, I feel like sometimes I get like, because I also feel hopeful, but I just like, damn, why can't we, you know, why can't there be more of us? Why can't we have like so much to do, right? Um, so many students to still connect with, to connect, you know, to reach so many students who put book different books, you know, get them to love reading and become nerds, right? 
um, and just embrace that. Um, I guess like I want to kind of just, you know, what are some challenges that y'all are facing? Because y'all sound like, again, you're doing amazing work. But like, what are some, you know, are, are there any challenges to the work that you're doing? Because, you know, we're like in a system that we're part of, we made it, we navigated the system already. We got our careers. Now we're trying to, you know, keep the door open. But there's always, you know, some either, some challenges that keep us from like, you know, that just make our job sometimes difficult, you know? So, and um, and anyone can jump in. Like, what are some areas or, you know, things that you feel like are like, you know? Well, uh, I could go, I could jump on that one. Uh, I think at the university level, uh, definitely the pandemic had a huge impact on the students. Uh, we went from meeting in person to going virtual to now forcing the students to go in person. And like, we didn't have enough time to transition, right? Um, the anxiety, the mental health um, uh, issues and support that we need to give to mental health uh, to our students, it's not there. And definitely we see that lack of it and you could see it in the classroom. Um, a lot of students uh, not like also, how can I say it? having access to certain uh, resources, such as one of them was uh, a lot of the mics that the students had weren't, didn't work, their computers didn't work, uh, not knowing where to get those resources. Uh, one thing I really did like about Capoli Pomona was that they checked out uh, laptops to the students, just in case you didn't have one, and they had a mic, and I think they at some point they had um, um, hotspots. But again, all of it were limited, right? It's not for every student. It's limited. Whoever got there first and whoever knew about the resource got that. So definitely those are some of the challenges. Um, I think right now I'm thinking because I, I just had um, a syllabus um, writing session with one of my femtors uh, who has been amazing. Also, like, uh, guiding me had to be uh, an, an amazing professor. And uh, she has shared the magic and all of that, right? And we're having a hard time how to get the students motivated to participate because we see how beautiful it is to participate in the classroom and how beneficial it is for the learning of the students because I benefit from that. I, I, that, if you would have met young Dora when she was in college and you would have asked her to sign up for a podcast, she would have laughed in your face. She would have like, yeah, right. I'm not gonna be. I'm not. I'm. I'm not confident enough to do that. I'll know. Uh, if you would have seen my presentation for senior capstone, I was mumbling here and there for a few. I had to practice so much, and now I go in the classroom and I'm like, okay, let's do this. Come on. It's just amazing to see the girl, but that's because I allow myself. I gave myself a permission to learn those skills, right? And I share that with my students, and sometimes she was like, are, are they listening? I'm like, I just wonder, are you all there? And uh, I also, like, uh, one of my most biggest frustration was that I spent a lot of times doing my lesson planning, uh, getting ready for class, rereading a lot of the class material. I just share. I just had a working session. I'm not, I haven't even started. And that's happening, right? And then you get to the class and your students didn't read. So how do you react to that? 
and I was just like, I had to learn that. I was like, oh, I was not ready for this. <laughs> Where literally they told you I didn't read. And I was like, okay. So definitely I'm trying to be as kind and um, cariñosa. Porque también quiero entender, like, qué es lo que está pasando. Muchos de ellos están trabajando muchos trabajos. Muchos de ellos perdieron la familia con la pandemia. So... I'm trying to be as kind as I can in understanding all the struggles that they're dealing with. But I'm able to do that because of my background in psychology. And I don't think every teacher has that. So it's a really messed up thing too. Like not having enough resources for those students and not be like, how do we not lose them? And I say in my classroom, I don't want to be the reason, reason for you to be pushed out of the university. Like, I don't want to be that reason. I don't want to be the reason that I ha I gave you an F in my class and that made you go into probation. I don't want to be that. So if you really are struggling, come and talk to me in, during my office hours. I I made myself available for, for weekends. Definitely some of my peers told me, you're going to burn out if you go at that rate. So I'm, learning, I'm also keeping my boundaries too. It's like, okay, this is rest day. No, you need to make an appointment. So... I'm also learning about technology, uh, como dice David. I share TikToks in my classroom. Yay. See, if I, I mean, now that David share, I'm like, I'm going to be sharing some of his TikToks in my classroom because I think that's uh, that's material where you could get them connected to you and see how they could apply those concepts that they're learning in class. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else? Um, I think for me, like, I'm still early in my career, like, as a school counselor. Like, I just finished my hours at the middle school and at the high school. And kind of just piggybacking on, like, what David said, that I think one of the challenges that I had was kind of accepting that not much has changed, you know, and kind of just being, like, at the high school and at the middle school and kind of just see it, like, thrown in my face where it was, like, a lot of these experiences that the students are going through, like, I also went through them when I was a student and, this 20, 2022 was 10 years since I graduated high school, you know? So it was like a whole decade. And I was like, man, like not much has changed. I did my field work hours at schools within my community, you know? So I just wanted to be local in that sense. And um, just seeing like the the bureaucratic process of even trying to be placed at that field work, you know, like I was at LAUSD site, LAUSD had gotten hacked. So then like, it took a while for me to even be able to be approved to go do my school counseling hours there. And then when I was at the high school, just seeing that, like, now I'm able to see, like, the behind the scenes, right? Because I'm no longer a student. Now I'm working with students. I'm talking to students. And it's a lot about that social-emotional conversation that I'm having with them. And then just having the students share experiences of what they're going through in their daily life. You know, like, they talk about, like, substance abuse. They talk about parental abuse. They talk about violence in the community. They talk about violence in school. You know, and kind of just seeing that there's so much going on in the lives of students that deter them so much from education you know but it's not that it's their fault you know so kind of just seeing too how the school isn't equipped to handle the multiple needs of the student was something that I just found very frustrating you know because like there was also like a teacher shortage during the pandemic you know so there was just students being taught by substitutes for a long period of time just students not being really engaged in the class and then when I was at the middle school one of the major challenges was um the technology gap 
you know, like I was talking to students who had like um, Fs or more than two Ds on their progress reports. And I was talking to them all day, like what's going on? And they're like, oh, I'm not submitting my homework. I was like, did you do your homework? They're like, yeah, I did. And I was like, why didn't you submit it then? And they're like, I don't have internet at home, you know? So the students were giving like um, iPad tablets, but it's only connect able to connect to the Wi-Fi at school. So students, when they go at home, they're unable to connect them to their own Wi-Fi or if they have Wi-Fi, you know? So the student was just struggling and being able to submit his assignment, you know? But people will just assume the student has two apps, they have one D, they don't care about school, you know? But in reality, like the student is going through something at home that's preventing him from being able to access the resource needed to fully participate in education. You know, so I think, especially during the pandemic, a lot of that has been like exacerbated, you know, but I think also the, one of the things that really kind of continues to push me forward was seeing all the people in my cohort who are also passionate for K to 12 education, you know, and then meeting, meeting people in the field too, who are like aware of the challenges that students are going on, but they are there to be that pillar of support for the student, you know, so like just meeting Angie and meeting Dora, like, it's just amazing knowing that Dora and I mean, David, like that there are people in education right now being that support for the students that most likely need it, you know, but I think the challenges was kind of just, understanding how education itself as an institution really hasn't improved, you know? And, and I think to uh, piggy off what um, was just being said by Diego, the work is not sustainable as a teacher. Um, like, I feel like it's something that's always mentioned and that people talk about like, oh, like hats off to teachers who put in so much work, but then there's also people that feel like we're just glorified babysitters, right? Um, but the workday doesn't end at 3.30, you know, or at 3, whenever you're, the school day's over. Like, you get home and you're still thinking about your class. Um, you're still thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow or are they going to get it? Or, oh, my God, I just realized I made, I made a mistake. Um, I feel like we never stop thinking about our classroom. Maybe over the weekend, right? But even then, like, <laughs> I'm still thinking about the content that, that, that I'm teaching um, and any, like, trying to prepare for any setbacks that might come up, you know, um, and it doesn't help that teachers are so underpaid. Um, and there are so many teachers, unfortunately, that they just see it as a paycheck. You know, they don't so much see it as, as their career. They're just there because maybe it was easy for them to just get into education, you know, and become a teacher, like, there's a teacher shortage. No one wants to teach. Um, so why not? Um, and there's, there's just very few teachers that are really committed to their classroom, really committed to students. Um, and when I see students fail, even my class, it's so hard to not feel part of the problem, you know, um, because even growing up, uh, I just saw how underserved schools and communities of color are, you know, and just something that has been mentioned so many times is just how like the counselor to student ratio is ridiculous. They're only, obviously only going to be focusing on those students that are like doing well. And like I shared, like I was a total nerd. I'd never saw that when I was in high school and by my senior year, that's, I think though, when I finally realized, and I think it, it kind of helped that I was reading like all these Chicano books <laughs> that my brother was bringing home from college um, when I realized the discrepancies that existed uh, even within my school, you know, um, and that's a reason why I teach 
gen ed classes, you know, or regular classes, as many teachers uh, um, say. I know that last year, uh, some teachers asked me to be a part of this like special program to make sure that students that are college bound are well prepared. And I did not want to participate in it because maybe it's going to piss some people off, but programs like that, I feel like they target students that are already college ready. They're not helping the students that need that support there. It's so easy to just have students that are already college bound, you know, um, and the programs that the students that should be a part of the program are not, and I'll rather be their teacher instead of students that are already well prepared. Um, I don't know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> going back to kind of like the challenges, I, I think the biggest thing that just comes to mind is just how unsustainable, uh, teaching is and why so many good teachers just end up leaving the profession. Why there's a teacher shortage because, it's not sustainable. We're not supported. We have huge classes, you know? Um, and with that, within our classes, we have SPED and students that are also part of the ELD program, you know? Like, how are you really going to support them? And just like I mentioned already, like, it's just so hard to not feel like you're a part of the problem, even when I'm trying so hard to make sure that my classroom is not it. Yeah, that's like, like the belly of the beast, right? Like we're, we're in the belly of the beast and we are coming with our own experiences and we want to like dismantle the system um, or at least give them the tools but when we become part of that, it just like, you know, it eats us, it eats us, you know, like when I'm sure when Diego, when you don't get a chance to meet with those group of students, right, like that you were trying to reach, um, I'm sure like that you take it personal, even though they'll say like, don't take things personal. It's like, no, like the reason I became a teacher is very personal to me. So everything you're saying and not saying is personal to me, right? Like, um, that's the, that's definitely, um. That's definitely very complex, right? And I think, uh, again, bringing up this whole, Dora, you call that boundaries, right? Like that you make yourself available on weekends. Um, and then, Angie, you're bringing up how it's unsustainable and also why there's a teacher shortage. We don't get paid enough. We don't get valued enough, right? Um, is And I think the pandemic, all of you kind of just went into it. The pandemic really highlighted that, highlighted the schools that, for decades have been struggling, but the pandemic made it more, you know, like made it more, I don't know, it just kind of exposed the schools that don't have it, you know, and that they were able to hide behind the scene. And now, no, now it was very, you know, now no one can hide. Like people, you know, who didn't have access to technology or just like, you know, people who, I don't know, I feel like I remember, you know, just students who, you know, there was like a big thing when we were on distance learning. There was like a lot of teachers like cameras on, cameras on, and like it would be like whole debate on like cameras on, cam cameras off. And I'm just like, I just want to hear your voice, or I just want to see you type. You know, like, um, but it was like a huge thing where it's like that's not like at least to me that wasn't 
something to die on, you know, something like I'm going to push for. And then you will, you know, get messages from, I will get messages from students saying like, sorry, miss, I can't turn on my camera because I'm like actually in my closet on Zoom uh, or like I don't have a quiet space or I have a, you know, my family members in the background or, you know, and it's just uh, the lack of understanding, right? And I feel like for me, um, like working in middle school and I think like just in education, I feel like my biggest challenges have always been adults. Adults who don't get it, you know, um, and and I've learned to like know like when am I gonna, you know, because going back to uh, you know just you know being not being sustainable, I feel like for us, right, who are going in every day because we know how much power we have. Um, and we give it 110% every day. Um, just knowing when to engage on a conversation that you know you're not going to win or like not going to get through, right? And knowing when to share your thoughts and knowing when to like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away because this person is not worth it right now. And I'd rather, you know, at least that's what I've been learning so far. And that's been helping me with like my sustainability purposes. Just like, you know what, Susie, you don't have to say everything. You know what, you don't have to involve in, you know, I know when to, but like something I had to learn because I feel like I was always like, you know, Angie would, you know, can confirm like I was just like, boom, 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 in our meetings, like, no, you sure? Like, what? Like, you know, and that would always just get me tired. Um, and then I would just not have tired to lesson plan or tired to do X, Y, and Z or take care of myself, right? And when we don't take care of ourselves, then we can't really be there for students, but I don't know, David, I'm going to piggyback. I'm going to put you on the spot. What has been your challenge going? Because you also have experience going, working through different age groups, right, in education. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and even before, just real quick, before I dive into that, um, the other thing that comes to mind is just this, this conversation on, I think the pandemic was was definitely a good point for us to really reflect on on this whole equity versus equality, right, conversation and, and how a lot of our schools lack the access to resources, financial resources, you know, to actually provide our students with a decent laptop or Wi-Fi or, you know, textbooks or tutoring or all these other things that they need, right? And we only did the minimum, right? I would want to see, honestly, I would want to see all these LAUSD reps live off of the salary of a teacher. I honestly would. And, and see if they would be able to make it. You know, calling people out. We we got to do it. We got to do it because, like these guys, these folks are making like over a hundred k, and they're making decisions on how to fund your schools, right? And what what are the best things for your schools when they don't have the experience of being in your place, right? And so I know a lot of y'all brought up you know salary, like teachers should be getting a, a salary increase. Like, there's no, like, I personally don't think there should be a reason why an educator should be struggling, right? You're putting a lot on the line. You stay off the after hours. You're still developing after, you know, you're at, you're at home, taking care of your family, you know, trying to relax or whatnot. You still have all these things running. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, K through 12 and beyond, right? Because I'm pretty sure, Dora, I'm pretty sure you would benefit off of, you know, a salary increase as well, you know? And it's just, it's ridiculous to me, honestly. Um, I hear you when it comes about, you know, like the whole Zoom thing. 
Like I've been not just in the school setting, but in a nonprofit. So it was like, like that was one of the things. Like, make sure the students have their cameras on. Like, I'm not gonna grade the student, or I'm not gonna, you know, like that's their private space. It's their home. Like, if it's privacy, right? So if they don't want to allow me into their space, then I'm not gonna be like, hey, you gotta turn on your camera, okay? If not, then I'm gonna I'm gonna mark you absent for not turning on your camera. The hell, like, no. But that's one. Um, I think one of the changes that I'm seeing también is just the lack of preparations for students. And I know that this is a reflection of when, when we talked before, as we were planning this, this session, Susie was like, some kids are not ready. Like, you know, they're behind on, on certain subjects. And I'm like, really? Like, no, I don't think so. But then I remembered, you know, like you're a middle school teacher. And I reflected and I was like, wait, some of my high school students are not ready in that, in that English piece. So what happened in these two years, you know? So I think for me, it's just, it's seeing that, um, that big piece. But, um, but I, I see your wheels, I see your wheel turning. I think one of the things that you, I love the way you're, you're talking about, and I love what Susie brought up uh, earlier, like how, and I think a lot of the forcing it, right? You need to turn on your camera. That's also not about consent. Like we're not giving them consent to be like, oh yeah, I'm okay turning on my camera. And a lot of them having to share rooms with their siblings or parents. And it's so funny and giggles when we see like people like, memes on zoom or like not knowing how to use the technology right but that it, it's fun and giggles right but that's some of the reality for a lot of the youth that they don't know they might know how to use their phones they might know how to use this but they maybe not they didn't have access to a computer i personally didn't have i didn't buy my computer until i was a junior in college that's the first time i bought a laptop like a junior in college because I will stay on campus to do my my papers and all of that. And then my sister decided that she's like, eh, hell no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to put all financial aid to the computer and I'm just going to do that. And I'm going to buy myself a laptop. And she bought herself a laptop. And at the end of the day, she ended up helping me with that because um, she was able to do that. And we share her laptop for both of us that were in college at almost at the same time. But that's a reality. Imagine if I would have been a student during the pandemic. How would that work? No, it wouldn't have worked. Not only that, like how violent, and I'm just going to say how violent it is to make and force a student to turn on their camera when they're telling you, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, and you, and we're not listening. So definitely that. Um, I think one of my biggest thing for me, at least for a professor, because I do meet virtually with one of my some of my students, is have a funny picture. So I don't also don't feel like I'm talking to a black space <laughs> in Zoom. I'm like have a picture that represents you, have your pronouns there, and if you don't want to mute yourself or you can because you're at home and there's like a lot going on there, then put it in the chat. So having different options, right? And that's what I'm saying. We're working on that, at least in my, uh, with my coworker, my colleague, is how can we make it uh, a good learning experience for the students and for us to be able to understand their needs, right? Um, and a lot of times, maybe 
our students do need some training. Meaning, what what do I mean by that? I didn't know like the approach you needed to do when addressing your professor. And I didn't have an issue with it. Personally, I didn't. I'm like, you could like, I am Dora. You could call me professor, profit. You know, I have no issue. That to me is no issue. However, my colleagues don't have the same same uh, open door, right? So definitely teaching our students like, hey, this is how you play this type of politics. Uh, this is how you ask for a letter of recommendation with this professor. Do not ever get, waive your consent to read the letter. Like, definitely that's one of the worst of advice for my students. Read those letters. You want to know what those professors are writing about you because that's key and that's your right. So definitely um, sharing those information, that information with the students. I literally one day, I spent like five hours. Yeah, what, I think I started like at 7 p.m. And I, I, know, I realized I had been in the computer for seven hours, for five hours. And I think I noticed that it was 12 o'clock in the morning. I was like, what am I doing? But I was looking at all the resources that Kapolipo want to offer that my students didn't know about, such as workshops on how to uh, be organized, how to not procrastinate, how to get help with writing, how to go for the laptop and mic and the hotspot, all of that. And I just literally made a folder in the Canvas for them to just download and use whenever they need it. Yeah, and piggybacking off what Dora and David were saying, um, I think, yeah, having to even, like, punish the student for not being able to turn their camera because, like, they have some things going on at home, like, that's kind of just seems very, like, antiquated. You know, like, the student shouldn't be punished for that. Like, during the pandemic, I was also a student. I was in my graduate program. And... I was also completing like my field work hours. So I was like at three different sites, like throughout the whole week, you know, but I also, I was also working as well. Like I had to pick up a part-time job and work on the weekends at Pizza Hut, you know, and then it's the, um, I was very lucky to have some professors that were very okay with me not being on camera, you know, because I was stuck in traffic, I was driving, you know, but it also kind of just allowed me to have my headphones and kind of just not disrupt like the other, my other cohort members and things like that. You know, but it was very, I was very blessed to have professors that were understanding, understanding of that. And even when I had to be like a few minutes late and they were understanding of that, I think it really just, it really does help establish rapport with like the professor, you know, but it also makes you feel seen because they understand what you're going through and you don't feel penalized for that. You know, but I do think that like consequences of like the pandemic, we really haven't seen like the full extent of them because we still have to take into account like the long-term consequences that we're going to see. I know during the pandemic, like, and the shortages of staff, there was also, like, the bleeding of multiple roles into one, you know, because sometimes you had to pick up, like, the missing component in your campus, you know. So coming from, like, the school counseling perspective, like, when the school counselors and I, we would have to supervise students, like, during passing period and during Lent, you know, but it also takes away valuable time from you doing what they're supposed to do, whether that's talk to students about their academic goals, whether it's make sure students are meeting their A2G requirements, you know, but within the school counseling profession, like you can also gather data within the school and see what is like the need of your campus, you know, but not having the time to do that is also a detriment, not only to like the school counseling team, but to the whole school, you know, because you, by gathering that data, you can see what the population you are working with is lacking and then be able to have a conversation with administration, be like, you know what, there's a technology gap within our students, our students are unable to know how to navigate like the specific software whether it's Schoology or whether it's whatever software to upload their homework and that's what's 
also hurting them and receiving the grades for the work that they do. You know, so I think when it comes to the pandemic, I think it's, it's, it's still like, you know, like, because everyone was affected, you know, administration, teachers, staff, students, you know, but I think we have to have that conversation amongst each other and acknowledge that like, we're here because the students come first, you know, what shifts, what shifts do we need to do to address the new needs of students and the current existing needs of students? Oh yeah. You're reminding me, Diego, of like, uh, the sixth grade counselor at my school, she has to like sometimes uh, cover a class, right? Cause there's not enough teachers or sometimes. And I'm just thinking like, dang, like that, that's like a whole, you know, whether it's for the whole day or for a period, but it's like when she's not meeting with the students, you know, at that time, then it's just kind of, you know, she has to wait to do all of that. And I think all of us can agree. And I think a lot of us already talked about like mental health right like right now the biggest at least what i've seen um is like the highest need of mental health but like also the state is not prioritizing it the schools are prioritizing it but more like to talk about it but not like what does that look like you know how do you train teachers like you know um like i can talk about it because i feel like i can be very understanding but like there's other stuff that i don't know right um and I can be as understanding as much as I can, but I'm not trained, you know, in terms, I don't have a psychology background. Like I don't know a lot of other, you know, things, um, but it's just interesting how, like, again, everywhere you see, I feel like when we went back in person, it was like mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health. And it's like, okay, it's not mental health when you have a ratio of 800 students per counselor. That's not mental health. It's not mental health when your classes are packed. 30, 40 students per class, one teacher is not mental health when you have too many, you know, you're not paying the salary to anyone in working with you. Um, and now you have subs who sometimes, you know, they just kind of want it, they just go in and, you know, just kind of be hands off, right? That's, I feel like to me, that's mental health, but, um, but like the state is not even prioritizing it, right? So it's just, how do you do that? <laughs> Yeah, I think it also highlights, like, the importance of collaboration, you know, amongst, like, the school team, like, administration, teachers, counselors, but also amongst the schools, you know, like, the elementary to the middle school, the middle school to the high school, and then the college to the high school. Like, it's important to reinforce those relationships, you know, because, like, we're all working towards, we're all working towards the goal and ensuring that, like, the students we work with are successful, you know, whether that be through college or through career or through whatever interest that the student has. You know, but it really does start with having those solid foundations and relationships amongst each other, you know, because I know um, like the school, the elementary school that I live by and then the middle school that I was working, like it's a direct pipeline. It's a direct feeder school, you know, but there was like a meeting that we had and it was like the first meeting that they've had in years amongst like the administration between the middle school and the elementary. But it's like this is the feeder school, like if the feeder school, if the elementary was able to find out the needs of the students, the middle school should be aware of the needs of the student population that is now going to serve, you know, and making sure to develop a plan to address those needs. And even as the students transition into high school, you know, it's also important for school counselors and teachers to have communication with one another, just so we can also share amongst resources, but to also just share amongst what work with the student population that we were serving and how can you best accommodate them at the new school that they're at. So it sounds like you're just reimagining the school system in general from K to 12. And how do we get there? You know, like, it's just like. Hey, this is a good start. Right? You know, you ideally, guys have in this space. Ideally, yes. that's how it should be, right? The, the schools 
that work in the same, serve the same students should be meeting at least once a month or something, you know, where it's not like a whole surprise, but no, reimagining that's this. Y'all are doing an amazing job, you know, and even having this space, you know, like we have someone from the middle school, someone from the high school, someone from the university, someone at the community college level, you know, so we have all those levels, you know, so just I'm very thankful for y'all to be able to create this space for us to bounce ideas off each other, but kind of just also share our experiences and ideas of what we can do to improve the work we do with students. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So if you're listening and you're debating about, you know, maybe... Maybe education is a field I want to go into, or maybe I want to, you know, Diego's motivated me and David is motivated to, like, maybe, you know, become a counselor. Like, hope you are listening, you know, just tap in, say yes, apply to the program. Um, I'm not trying to talk shit, but, like, uh, Teach for America, you know, I feel like sometimes that can be a little problematic. Um, But I do have some of my friends who did go through the program and they're dope teachers, but I feel like, programs like that sometimes they rush the process and it's just like you know i don't know it's just they rush the process of how to become a teacher but it's just i don't know i feel like this don't i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say but you know you're teach for america you're teach for america i'm not trying to hate on you i'm just saying sometimes sometimes there's programs that are just like want to you know, it's all about business, and uh, sometimes they're not the best to train, you know, teachers, especially because they, they come into our schools, right? They come into, like, working class, students of color, where they just get to be there for one year, two years, or however requirement it is, and then deuces, you know? Um, so, yeah, you know, I still do, love do, all my do, folks from Teach for America. Do, 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 Nadie se salva, nadie se salva. From from educators to programs to Starbucks, like educators, professionals, administrators, I'm gonna make a request right here, right now. Please, please, for the life of whatever Jesus you believe in, stop serving Starbucks to your staff. That is the number one reason why they burn out. You're giving them Starbucks. Go to your local mom and pops. Go to a local um, Cafe Calle, South LA Cafe, um, El Cielito Cafe. What was the other one? Patria Coffee. Um, go to those and you'll see the shift in your staff and, and how much they care about the students and the work that they do. So, see, come on, Susie, just see what you yeah, got to say. And about I think you bring up a very important point, David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're right, Susie, you know, like, and that's not to knock on Teach for America, but it's like, you know, even getting your credential to be a teacher, like, it's a process, you know, but it ensures that you're prepared for, like, the profession, you know, so kind of just circumventing that and kind of just finding an easier way to become a teacher doesn't really acknowledge, like, the effort and expertise that it takes to be a teacher, you know, because the other part that you have to about teaching is that you also have to be, like, an educator. You know, like there was a quote that I saw that one of my supervisors had that was like, oh, there are educators and then there are people that work in education, you know, and I think that's a distinct difference, you know, and it's, um, for those that are listening and are interested in like being a teacher or school psychologist, a school social worker or a school counselor, like 
I would like to share a resource with you that I learned about last year and I was able to apply to. It's called the Golden State Teacher Grant and where you can apply if you're pursuing one of those credentials in the state of California and you're in a master's program and where they can award you up to like $20,000 to help you with the cost of the program or whatever cost that you need, you know? So just ensure, and all you have to do is work at one of the schools that they highlight for three years after that grant, you know? But if you're working in schools within your community, I'm 99% sure that that school is already on the list. You know, and it, it's a resource that can help you get that credential, but it also helps put people from the community into these schools, you know, because as David was mentioning too, like, it's important to build that community within the school itself because the school itself is educating the community, you know, so making sure that community partners are able to participate in the school. I think that's an amazing thing. Like, last year I returned to um my high school, which is Fremont High School, because one of the teachers there had organized like a, um, it was like a rock like a rock music festival for the students you know where the band the school band was participating but they also invited like other artists to showcase the music but they invited like members of the community nonprofit and i thought it was like a beautiful thing to see you know that like the teacher organized it the students were engaged but that it was also open to the community because it does it does give the students new experiences and you come to find out that like students can't imagine what they don't know you know, so whether it's a student finding interest in music or a student finding interest in advocacy, like the student has to be exposed to those experiences, you know, but it starts by making sure that we have those community ties within within our local businesses, with our local mom and pop shops, mm -hmm. and also within other agencies that serve the no, school. No, definitely. And I think um, it's very important to also find community within, you know, like within the community, the school that you work at, right? And I think I'm going to, you know, David, I don't know if you have another question, but like, I think for my question would be like, how do you, we talked about how unsustainable it can be at the work that we do. Uh, what makes it sustainable for you? Like, cause you know, we can talk about like, man, like these meetings, these PDs, these adults, you know, or like how much work, um, you know, that like there's not enough time in the day. If you're in education serving the youth, there's not enough time that you ever feel like, okay, I did it. I'm done for today. Like, you know, like this. Um, well, at least I have a hard time now. I, I can say that cause now I have a, you know, one-year-old who I need to come home to. So I'm done for today. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't get to what I had to do, but I feel like if I didn't have a, you know, build a family, um, then I would still be in school. You know, I would still be trying to do work. I was still trying to do other things. Right. So, um, my question to y'all is like, how, what makes this work sustainable, um, for you? And, you know, what makes you come back the next day? Other than Starbucks or not Starbucks, right? <laughs> I know, David, attacking us. I, <laughs> I love it. But definitely, I think I love what David said about, like, I said it. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say further. I mean, I have two jobs. Uh, sadly, being a lecturer is not enough. And honestly, I don't have the energy to be driving to multiple campuses. I don't. I'm just going to be honest in that sense. I really love Kapali, uh, working there. But going back with David, I really want those administrators to literally be a, a, a teacher for a whole week, not just one day, one week, and they just, just get paid while we get paid. And let's see if they're going to be doing the job that we do, right? They're probably going to quit within the second day or even the first day. But being honest, right? And I think that's what we often, um, a big uh, like higher ups, forget. Like you're making these decisions while knowing exactly who you're going to affect or they know who's going to affect but they don't care let's just be honest in that sense right so but we have a few of us that are here having this important conversation so we do care but what fuels me what motivates me 
the comments, the feedback that I got from my students. If I could reach a couple students in one semester, I'm happy. I'm so happy. And my biggest compliment I got from one of my students last semester um, was that I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, I'm going to miss this class. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, you're going you're gonna to make me cry. And that to me was like, yeah. He's like, even my sister, when we will meet virtually, she will be like, can I sit next to you? I really like your professor. She's so nice and kind. And the way she talks to you. And hearing that out, that I was able to do my work, my job in a way that was nurturing, kind, and that I really care about my students, really uh, affirm myself, like, I really, I, I wouldn't mind doing this for the rest of my life. Um, however, think, okay, I have to keep practicing and reinforcing boundaries. Like, I, I had to. I would go to my office, do work, and then I wouldn't, I only only if it was like that i got behind with a little bit of grading i will put some time to grade extra time at home but i had to like put a boundary okay this has to stay over there like it can't come to my house because um that's the way we need to do it and i don't want to burn out i really don't want to burn out and i love it so much that i don't want to leave it so definitely that's one of the biggest things that I, i got from this and piggybacking off of that, like, I think um, definitely teachers need to be paid more, you know, but I think it's a reflection of, like, how undervalued education is, like, within the state, but even within, like, the country itself. You know, I think that the investments in education haven't really been made. And the other thing, too, is that I think that policymakers, I feel like it's happening a, a little bit more now, but policymakers definitely need to listen to educators and look at the data on what policies should be, like, assisting and being passed in order to help the students, you know. But definitely making sure that teachers are adequately compensated because that also attracts like the best teachers that you have, you know, but it also gives teachers an incentive to also further their education. So also having schools that provide like those professional development for teachers to also become aware of like the new needs, arising needs within the student population that they serve. I think that's very important. And I think it's also like one of the things that could be done is also having good leadership within the schools, you know, because people have to be aware of like the mission and vision of the school. You know, but making sure that we all as a team are working to, together collaboratively to achieve that, you know, and I, coming from like the community college perspective, like within community college, there was like recently a bill called AB 705 and an additional bill was AB 1705 where they got rid of what they call, called remedial courses. So now students that are attending college, they can automatically be placed into college level English and college level math. And when you looked at the data regarding like remedial courses, you would find that students would get stuck on those classes and not reach the college level math. And that would deter students from transferring or from finishing community college. You know, so when you look at like the, the Chicano, Chicana, Chicanx educational pipeline, you would see that like a lot of students who attend community college, they're failing because of the remedial classes. And when you look at like, there was a report by some organization called the College Opportunity and where it was called the, the State of Education for Latinx in California students. And you find that when it comes to California, like Latinos are going to be the number one population in the state, you know, but also California has the highest Latino, Latinx students in this, the, the United States, you know, but you find that a lot of those students are also low income and most of them, like seven out of 10 go to community college, you know, but they're also, they also tend to be first gen students, but you find that students don't have that support at home. You know, they don't have it within the schools, but a lot of it comes down to like how the school itself is structured and the funding that goes into the school. You know, so you have students that 
do have the drive to want to better themselves, you know, especially when you come from like an immigrant family, you have that drive to want to succeed because your parents are here for you to have a better life, you know, and they're able to pass that on. So I definitely think that making sure that the policy reflects the needs of the student in order for students to be able to succeed, but also that the educators that guide the student towards this path are also adequately compensated, but also prepared towards that in the terms of professional development. I love it. No? And Diego, we'll go back to you. What, what makes you come back though? Like what keeps you your work sustainable, right? Because I'm sure you have to get me and me and me and try to, I mean, yeah. like if it's just you for a grade level, what makes your work that you're doing sustainable? Like, I think for me, um, I it relates to the quote that you had shared, like in the email regarding education is a tool for liberation. Like, I am a huge believer in that. Like, education itself opened a lot of pathways for me, but also I feel like it made me in in education. I learned how to like think critically about like the society that I live in, but also within myself and who I am as a person and how I navigate society but also help me take accountability for like my own actions, you know? So I'm a big believer that education is transform can be transformative. It changes lives, you know, and it's simple, but I think what keeps me going is just like the thank yous, you know, like a student is like, Hey, like I was helping a student the other day and like, they asked me for my name, you know, and not every student asks you for your name, but it was like a long conversation that I was having with a student kind of just helping them apply to the school, register for classes, schedule the counseling appointment. You know, and then, like, the student just seemed very, like, grateful to just walk out of that meeting and be like, oh, okay, like, I feel safe. Like, you know, like, I feel, like, supported in school. And kind of just knowing that I think it takes you seeing the student for who they are because not every student is going through the same thing, you know. But if you are able to have that conversation and kind of just connect with the student, I think I do think that that itself leads to a higher probability of the student succeeding because they feel supported within the campus and they have that mentor, femtor whichever one that they, they choose to pair with, you know, I think it's important because you find that support networks are very, are very, are, are very, um, they're very efficient in increasing the rates of students succeeding. So whether they participate in special programs or whether it's somebody that is there, like educating them on what you need to do, what you need to, like, oh, now you have to register for classes. Now you have to apply for financial aid. You know, someone that is mapping out the roadmap towards their goal is someone that I feel that I would like to be because I feel that that's what I like. You know, but I also feel that that's not the position I would want students to be in. You know, so just making sure that I'm able to fill that role is what keeps me going. Yes, I love the quote too. So, like Diego, um, I love the quote, uh, quote because as you can see, like yes, education is a tool for liberation, and also it's a tool for to also learn from the students, listen to what they need, right? So definitely that. Um, I I I don't want to change to the next question, but I I before I forget because I, if not I'm gonna forget. One thing I did notice that I observed a, a lecture and because I I was a student at Capoli Pomona, was that with the whole pandemic, it, a lot of things change. So a lot of students are not having the same experience that I had and I benefited benefited from. So an example would be like student support and engagement, like there's not a lot of events and there might be events virtually but honestly i don't know about y'all but i'm exhausted in meetings via zoom like i'm tired so i will only make the exception when i really really feel like 
um motivated or like there's something that really i'm looking forward to like uh to sign up for an event or anything like that virtually but it's just it, i'm exhausted and i can only imagine imagine our students too being tired so definitely are not they're not logging into those extra zoom meetings uh they're missing out on so many opportunities uh so definitely that right so that's why i think i made that um active like or looking for those resources so they don't miss out one of my favorite activities and i know i'm a college professor so it i know one of my students like i feel like i'm in middle school or high school they did make that comment but i was like okay constructive criticism i'm gonna take it like that uh i did a scavenger hunt for my students where like i had it as a backup uh plan just in case there's an emergency with myself like either a car or anything a backup plan a plan where if i didn't get i wasn't gonna have in, in person class they had an activity where they had to do an discovery hunt they had to look for the disability resource center they had to look for all the cultural centers the writing center the library um and some of them took it off where they're like oh i found the gym or the other things and i was like okay uh that works for me so definitely i am keeping activities like that where they get to um get they need to exit their routine right making them like more involved on campus and i think it they work because two of my students attended the other los muertos events because they knew where the, the cesar chavez center was so definitely seeing that in the epidemic really definitely affected a lot of the students, the schools, the schools were not prepared. Where's the epidemic's not over, sadly. Well, it's not post-pandemic. I mean, I'm saying it because I'm still working, two of my projects are on COVID. So <laughs> the moment that those projects are gone, I will be like, okay, it's post-pandemic. But the reality is that it still, it still exists. Be mindful, like when the students do get sick, uh, understanding that, right? And making those accommodations and for them not to expose anybody else or expose to themselves to anything else too because if they're not in the best shape because of their health then we don't want them to get sick too so understanding and making those accommodations it's very important too yeah no definitely agree i'm gonna put angie in the hot seat uh the question was that uh, what makes your work you know like with everything going on what makes your work sustainable what makes you want to come back the next year you know or the next day <laughs> or stay for the next period you know like <laughs> well when i was working with y'all um it was so easy for me to be like you know what i'm so excited for next year and i'm gonna be honest with y'all um at like the school i was especially at last year i was one of the four teachers on that campus that gave a fuck about the kids um, everyone else want, found any excuse to blame students instead of reflecting on what can I do different in my classroom? How can I change? Um, and always pulling up that argument like, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, and I don't want to be negative because I know, it, again, it's about what keeps the work sustainable. Um, and I think for me, these last year and a half hasn't been too easy um working with adults but what brings me back every day is my students um doesn't mean that like it's all rainbows in my classroom and we're always laughing and singing together but even the knuckleheads that's the reason i'm there um because 
I want to make sure that my English classroom is not Eurocentric. And that's something that I intentionally have done these years that I've been teaching, you know. I know it's very early in my career, right? There's other teachers out there with a lot more experience than me. But that's something that I'm very intentional about, about the units I create, the units I kind of like mess with that I have to teach. And I'm like, okay, how can I make this a little more black and brown, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, and again, that's what brings me back. Just, I guess, having having a classroom, having a space where students are not learning what we learned when we were in high school. I know I had to read all these books from the canon from like white authors. And when I realized that there was authors with names like me, I was like, oh shit, there's some high quality literature here, you know? Um, and, and I was never exposed to that. And I want to make sure my students are. And like I always tell them, I'm my goal is not to make you like a total nerd and be like, I love reading at the end of the year. But let reading be something you can do. Something that you don't have to be like, ugh, we have to read, you know. Um, but just get some confidence. And, and again, it's my students that bring me back because it ain't the money. It ain't the adults. <laughs> It's my students. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. A ver, David, how do we, how should we wrap this up? How do we wrap this up, man? Let's, I, I think we, we, we broke the record. We've been on, on the call for a little over an hour and a half now. Um, so again, thank you all for, you know, for taking time. Um, you know, this Thursday night to, to just have this platica. It's been really helpful, really informational. Y'all have shared amazing information, dropped some, so many gems. Um, how do we close out? That's a good question. I wonder, you know, since hmm, I think a couple of us, couple of us have shared some quotes. So maybe what's like a quote, you know, um, that, you know, I don't know that like, is okay. like your, what is a quote you know, that you would pass know. on to a future educator? There you go. Speaking like an educator. Speaking like an educator. Like... <laughs> I it's good. There's so many quotes. Like, okay. So, but my favorite. I, I even it's not an educator, but like it's a reminder more of a it's this, like my favorite one is i changed myself i changed the world by gloria and saldua because definitely as a teacher as an educator you have to be comfortable with change you cannot be setting your ways you have to listen to your students so yes that one i think for me i it's one of my favorite quotes i'm trying to see how i can relate it to education you know but um it's um i'm not even sure who says it but i remember reading reading it once it was like everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die you know and for me it's just every to me it's just like you just got to try you just got to keep on trying you know like it's something that like i is that work ethic that i learned from my parents you know where it was like if i don't get something from somebody like i have to try and go out there and get it myself you know where it's like 
I want change in education, but I don't see it. I have to be that agent of change now. You know, I have to surround myself by other agents of change and kind of go out there and transform the world in order for it to serve the students that are like myself, that are like yourselves too. You know, so just trying, trying, and just always keeping an open mind to new experiences and to learning. You know, like learning is a lifelong process. You know, so as long as we continue to try, wake up the next day, you know, I feel like you can achieve a lot with just with that, you know? Honestly, I don't have a quote. I should have prepared better for this. I should have been told. Because <laughs> right now, as I'm hearing y'all talk, I'm over here like, I know there's one. I'm not even going to try to pretend that I know what it is because what if I butcher it and someone's listening and be like, girl, you're fucking lying. <laughs> but <laughs> so I have nothing for you. I'm sorry. I have nothing to, La- to give you, but... <laughs> This, this about, is last minute, about? last minute lesson planning. Last minute lesson planning. Last minute lesson planning. Okay, okay. I know you have something. I know you have. A I have. A, I don't. I don't know, but like inspires or like you know you're. I know you're like Miss Cleo too, right? So oh, oh no, we're gonna go into astrology. For those of you who are tuning in, are all about you know astrology and like message and, these people. Maybe they'll bring me back. I'm not too knowledgeable, but I like to talk shit. But <laughs> but it's not so much a quote. It is by the same person. Um, and just to kind of summarize her thoughts, it's just like Elizabeth Vasquez, um, she wrote a novel called When We Make It. And she kind of just talks about it in one of her poems about how we want to make it. And a lot of times that looks like leaving our community. And we leave our community and guess what? We're setting our roots in this new community that doesn't even want us there. And then we create our, we recreate our community in this place. Um, But why leave when you are just creating that space again? You know, um, who is telling us that we need to leave our community? Um, And why, why do we believe we need to leave our community? Again, I'm just summarizing, um, but that's something that sticks to me. That's something that I always repeat in my class. And it's something that I always want to remind my students because like I've shared with them, there's, I'm a teacher. I feel like I've made it. I still live where I grew up. I teach where I live, you know, and there's a lot of people out there that didn't go off to college, don't have a job, have a part-time job, but they think they made it because they left our ghetto city, you know? Um, So just, always reminding my students that you don't have to leave what does it mean to make it and it doesn't mean that you have to forget what made you bars no quote just the whole okay <laughs> and, and, she, and, and she didn't want to say anything and she didn't want to say anything right I she know. had her own like, poem. No, mama, i have nothing to share no but she just dropped like, some last minute gems Drop some wisdom. She did. I'm gonna go next, so can David. So David can, you know, he will drop the mic. Um, I don't know who said this either. Um, but hold on, let me make sure I don't say it the wrong way. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, use your smile to change the world. Don't let the world change your smile. And um, I think I'm just a true believer. Um, you know, I'm always, uh, I'm, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like a gift of mine. I'm always smiling. 
And I'm always, I feel like I do it intentionally with students um, just because I feel like in my experience with education, I feel like I always kind of went unnoticed and like there was not really an adult that kind of just, you know, took the time to like, you know, learn my name or, you know, say good morning. It was my coaches until high school who were the, like, you know, who were the ones who really saw me. So I feel like that's kind of been, uh, you know, one of the things that I do. And there's always students like always like, man, why are you always smiling? And I'm like, why not? You know, um, so yeah, definitely, that's something that I really connect with. Okay, okay, thank you all, thank you all. I'm looking. Um, I have my quote, but I again like come on the last minute planning. Um, no, I, I definitely want to end the session with with a different uh, intention. <laughs> but my quote um, is from uh, Nelson Mandela. You know, and it's it's something that I've used. You know everywhere I go, and that is just education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world, right? And and for me personally, when I say education, uh, I'm not only referring to traditional education, you know, going to college, going to a four-year, right? But education is some, it's knowledge, right? Self-taught knowledge that you learn through reading a book, through your peers, right? So things like that. Um, so I think that's something that I always try to pass on to my students, you know, and my peers. Um, and so I, I guess to to end it también, right, um, I hope or probably some of you have have uh, read, heard the In La Cage greeting, right? So I think this is, uh, I'm grateful to be in a space with a lot of educators, you know, who are passionate, who are who demonstrate a lot of empathy. And, and I think mm-hmm. this is a, a great moment to, you know, end it with this. And so it's, if you know it, um, tu eres mi otro yo, right? You are my other me. Si te hago daño a ti, if I do harm to you, me hago daño a mí mismo. I do harm to myself. Si te amo y respeto, if I love you and respect you, um, me amo y respeto yo. I love and respect myself. Thank you all again for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Um, Best of luck. And, you know, we'll be dropping this soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having us. Bye, everybody.